<laughs> the only smack I know is probably one we shouldn't talk about. <laughs> Are you talking about crack? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello, I'm Justin. I'm Mark. We're the J-Pops. And we are attempting parenting in Japan. Today we're going to talk about a few surprising things from the book What to Expect the First Year, but first, the updates. So Mark, tell me about Moe. Moe is in her 37th week now, and we are five days away from a new baby in our lives. So that's pretty exciting, but... In the meantime, there's not much going on. Just a lot of waiting. Yeah, you're living right now in the borrowed time between your original C-section date and your new C-section date, right? Yep. So you should have had a brand new baby two days ago, but now you're right. still five days out. So right. are you doing anything special with your bonus time here? No, kind of more of the same. Uh, a lot of planning, different places in the house that we want to like have stuff for the baby and like Maybe like purchasing some new things that we need and that kind of stuff. Other than that, no, nothing special. Well, um, yeah, enjoy it. You got a reprieve from the governor and your... Um, right, a stay of execution for now. stay of execution, a few more days <laughs> yourself. Very exciting news around the corner then. So our next episode is going to be another right. uh, baby has landed. Right. On our side, we've got a six-week-old and... It's more of the same, you know, just keeping up with that changing and feeding schedule. We are taking him out into the world a bit more, and this isn't really professional advice from any, you know, guidebook or anything, or it's recommended by the doctors or whatever, but we thought, you know, we just got to get him out into the world at some point. So let's, um, let's take him to do some office visits. So nice. yesterday we took him to my wife's office. And uh, he met all the coworkers there. And then we went to Curio, a restaurant mm. that you and I both go to frequently, owned and operated by our good friends, Sol and Yuko. And yes. um, so that was his first like real world, you know, sort of out there in a, in a right. business. Not doctor's office visit. <laughs> yeah, not the doctor's office and not like a meet and greet with, you know, parents, coworkers or whatever, but sort of a, a normal like shopping experience or restauranting experience. It was really fun. And then after that, we went to my office and he met a handful of coworkers who were around in this time between the semesters. Hmm. So that was pretty cool. It was a full day for the boy. He met yeah. like something like 20 people yesterday and got passed around. And man, uh, that makes know. me tired. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was a busy man. So is that something that's pretty common then in Japan, like it is in America, where you would like go and like see coworkers in their in the office? I don't know if it's really a tradition. Um, similarly, my wife and I took him to all the neighbors' houses a few weeks ago. Uh, oh, you know, okay. we just walked him door to door, rang the doorbell, right. and sort of introduced him to all the neighbors. The thinking is that it's kind of you know a big deal, like somebody new's living on the block, and hmm. uh, you don't just want to let it hang there, like they've never seen right. a kid, and like let's just get it out of the way, let's introduce them. And I felt sort of the same with the offices. But with the offices, there's a bit of something else going on, which is your office will typically give you some kind of gift, and then you need to give a return present to your office as well. Oh. Uh, we had hmm. some deliveries. We had to drop off a few return gifts here and there. Gotcha. That's, yeah, we had a carload of... Um, you know, boxes of assorted cookies and cakes and things like that. And we were dropping them off uh -oh. hither and yawn. Hmm. That is a busy day. 
I don't know if it's really a cultural thing about just meeting the kid or if it's more uh, sort of something that has to be done uh, in order to get your gifts back out there. Hmm. But we did that and it was uh, it was a fun time. It was nice to, um, you know, as I've said many times, part of my campaign with the baby is to get him into as many people's hands as possible, get him right. passed around and sort of comfortable with seeing a variety of people. And uh, yesterday we got like, I think it was 19 people in all. And Damn. it was a good day for me. Yeah. Passing that boy around. How did he act like in Curio and all these places? Was he fussy? Was he like, he's pretty chill. <laughs> yeah, he's a chill boy and he is on his own time frame. Like he's marching mm. to the beat of his own drummer. And uh, it's just the same as at home. If he needs a diaper change, he's fussy. If he's hungry, he's fussy. Other than that, he's mm. half asleep. Or if you're lucky, <laughs> he's looking around a little bit. Okay. What we really want is when we show him to somebody, we want him to be alert and kind of looking around because his massive eyes are like his key mm. cute feature and it's right. his trademark. So <laughs> he leaves a, a real impression if he's awake and alert and like and he's got the old peepers out. Nice. Uh, so that's what we were hoping for. And he was like that half the time. So that was pretty good. That's good. And um, a couple of other updates. These are less um, pertaining directly to the baby, but just some things I talked about in the past that I wanted to update the info on. I mm. said uh, a few weeks back when we were talking about the useful and then sort of useless things for a baby, uh, I mentioned mobiles and toys were pretty mm. much useless because they're not holding a young, young newborn's attention. But okay. I would like to change course, especially on the <laughs> mobile. That thing is now, I mean, it holds his attention like season three of Game of Thrones or something. Like gotcha. he looks at a mobile and uh, plays its little tune and he stares intently at it when nice. it's on. And if it runs out of juice and it's just chilling there, he's still looking at it. He's just checking those shapes, <laughs> checking those colors. And if you cool. do need... You know, we have a wind-up version. You have the same one, actually, I think. Yeah. And if you wind it to the max, it might last for two minutes or something. But sometimes okay. you just need two minutes of him focused on something so you can run to the bathroom or, you know, right. you can, like, empty the washing machine or something like that. And that's all it takes. He's, like, transfixed. Gotcha. So he's he's locked in with that now. That's good to hear. Is the one that you got, then, you think that's, like, a really good one? Cause it's pretty colorful and it has nice like animal shapes and stuff. Yeah. It's got the four little stuffed animals kind of hanging from it. Um, it's, it's definitely cheap and it only lasts <laughs> a couple of minutes at the okay. max. So I don't know if it's like top quality mobile, but um, I would recommend any, any mobile, you know, that makes a sound and spins around and gotcha. has a nice shape to look at. I would say it kicked in around week five, probably like oh, five, really? six weeks, then he mm. just got totally obsessed with it. So that's been a positive. Nice. That's good. It's good to hear. Got one more update. Uh, and this is about the, again, kind of the buying and giving of gifts. We had the Amazon registry, which we've talked about a lot. You guys have the Amazon registry. Yeah. And something that annoys me a little bit about it, as convenient as it is, is that it's basically new items. So oh, right. the baby goods market is a prime market or used stuff because babies mm. grow so fast or their attention span changes or their needs change, you know, in yeah. a period of just a few months. So you've bought something that really helps the baby. And then three months later, it's really useless for your baby. And mm. if everybody's buying brand new versions of this stuff, then you're all just throwing away money pretty much. Yeah. And, uh, I'm a real reduce, reuse, recycle person. Um, 
you know, I'll, I'll use something until the end of its life and then I'll keep using it and people make fun of me for using it. And then finally I'll throw it away. But, uh, <laughs> With the baby stuff, here's what we've done a couple of times, and it's really worked out well, is you'll see something on Amazon. You'll think, yeah, the baby needs that. That'll be really good. But it's a couple hundred bucks. And then in Japan, you can easily pop onto Mercari, which I'm a Mercari fiend. I get loads oh, and loads of stuff off Mercari. So it's just a used app. Yeah, it's kind of like a, um, it's not really a Craigslist, not really an eBay, but it's kind of in that vein. And uh, mm. you'll find exactly the thing on Mercari for like 75% less than right. what it is new on Amazon. What we've done a couple of times, if you have a good friend who says, hey, I want to get you something, then just say, okay, this is a little bit informal, a little bit um, awkward, but how much do you want to spend? Because mm. if the person tells me, oh, I want to spend like 75 bucks, then I'll say, okay, I can get something really great from Mercari or I can get a couple of like, eh, here's a couple of outfits from Amazon, you know? Right. And um, if your friend is down with it, you can say like, okay, just hand me the $75. I'll order it on Mercari myself and get it delivered to my house and we will forever name that thing after you and we'll like <laughs> credit you in the photos and we'll send you pictures and everything. But you've got that weird step of like, they didn't get to pick it out really. And they may feel a little impersonal about handing over the cash, but it's so gotcha. beneficial because you can get so much better stuff. This is like the equivalent then of giving a gift card. Yeah, it pretty much is. And yeah. for the, the parent, it's like, you know, exactly the material, exactly the color, exactly the look and the accessories and all that. And you can find yeah. it on Mercari because the baby market is flooded everywhere mm. in a used shop or on Mercari. It's just like people are just trying to unload this stuff and that makes the prices go down. Um, you can find all the color variation right. and accessories that you may want. And um, it's just a matter of if it's somebody who's a bit distant, like a acquaintance or not such a good friend, then you may just tell them, yeah, here's our Amazon link. But if it's a better friend who's not um, averse to just handing you cash, then right. I highly recommend that. I'd like to say like we've been doing a lot of shopping on Mercari lately like me especially, I, I live for that that app. But a lot of the stuff that we've been finding lately isn't marked down like a lot. Japan oh, yeah. in general, I find, doesn't reduce the prices for used goods as much as mm -hmm. America. Like mm -hmm. I feel like in America, if you have a used thing, you just instantly, it's 50% off. Yeah. And then if there's damage, you take more off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in Japan, it's almost it's almost like if you have a thing that's still in good shape, we're going to give 10% off. And then mm -hmm. if there's some damage, maybe we'll give another 10% off. So yeah. a lot of times that the stuff I've seen and even bought has only been like maybe like a quarter down from the mm -hmm. original price. Yeah. Well, just a couple of examples. Um, we got a rocking chair uh, that runs for $200 new. It was $96 on Mercari. Uh, so That's good. That, That's good. Yeah, that was a sweet like more than 50% discount. Yeah. And then another one that uh, it's the the bouncer, like the little bouncer seat that you put a mm. sort of newborn up to say eight or nine months or maybe up to a year, even two years if the bouncer is like adaptable to a toddler size. You can uh, find a bouncer online, like a kind of nice upscale brand, like a baby Bjorn or something with mm. like a little toy accessory and it runs like $250. And yeah. it's literally 250 for a very tiny chair that you're only going to use for a matter of months. Right. 
And so we found, I mean, depending on what you want to do on Mercari, you can find them for like 30 bucks, 40 bucks. And uh, we landed on one that was like in the 75 range. Um, Hmm. But then you can see sort of new ones in the box for like $200. But I feel like, you know, Mercari organize or it shows you the newest stuff first, right? Right. You'll scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. And then you'll see like, oh, wow, these posts are still one or two days old. So Mm. I would imagine every day there's maybe 10 or 15 new bouncers going up of the specific brand and type that we want. So there just must be hundreds of bouncers a day. And then the market kind of gets flooded and, and you can get a deal. Yeah. So I really recommend just trying to strike the deal with anybody who's your close friend and uh, mm-hmm. send them to Mercari, especially for a bigger purchase. It's going to save you a hundred bucks, 150 bucks. I mean, yeah. And when you got a kid. Yeah. So um, that's, uh, that's very beneficial, but those are my updates. And I think we're ready for segment time. I recently got the book, What to Expect the First Year. And mm-hmm. um, I'm a total convert on the What to Expect series. Like, I thought, well, I don't know. Is it good? Is it not? Who cares? But then I got What to Expect when you're expecting, and you have so many questions, and it's like an encyclopedia. You just right. look up whatever you need, and it's always very useful. And I feel that it's pretty balanced. So yeah. um, I was a fan. And then when the baby was born, I was like, you know, like a crack addict, but I was combing through the last pages of what to expect when you're expecting. And I was like, Oh no, I've got a real baby now and it's, I'm no longer expecting. And, uh, I need my fix. Yeah. Heidi Murkoff. So I went ahead and found this also on Mercari. Oh, nice. Uh, what to expect the first year. Yeah. I've just been going through it and you have it as well. I do. We did this a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, maybe um, just sort of looking through that book and finding like the surprising things because I flip through it all the time and I'm just, Mm. you know, I'll look up something, but then I'll read five other sections because they just caught my eye. And there's so many surprising things in this book. And Mm. I thought we could do a little info share today. So I've chosen kind of the three shocking or strange things that I've learned in what to expect the first year. You've chosen three of your own, and I thought we Mm -hmm. could go back and forth and share our info. I'll kick it off here. And my first one is, by the way, I've got the completely revised and updated third edition of this book. And on page 150, there's a heading that says early teeth. Hmm. And um, I've heard about this before, but some babies are born with a couple of teeth. They've Hmm. just got random teeth in their head in their mouth right yeah 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 in the mouth where you would expect <laughs> to find the teeth it says here that uh yeah you might find one or two little teeth in a newborn uh to quote the page here it says such extra early teeth may be pre-teeth or extra teeth which once removed will be replaced by primary teeth at the usual time so they could have three of the same teeth come in? <laughs> could have three of the same teeth. And it's not a full set on the pre-teeth. It's usually just a couple. Wow. That seems like an evolutionary step to me. Like two teeth good, three teeth better, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Would that mean that we're growing out of the third set of teeth as we get older? We evolve more? I don't know. Maybe it's just a random mutation and you Hmm. get a third copy of some teeth. But um, that's the rare case. It says more often they are primary teeth. Hmm. Just the baby teeth have come out in the womb, basically. 
and those teeth usually have to be extracted because they're way too premature for teeth and they're not like securely anchored in the gums. So then you run the risk of the baby, oh. like those teeth coming out and the baby swallows them or the baby chokes on them or something. Right. So usually what happens is, um, well, I say usually, I'm not sure about the numbers, but the doctor would say, okay, we've got to extract those teeth. It could be the case that the teeth are firmly anchored and then you've just got a kid who's one day old and he's got a couple of teeth like right there in the front. Hmm. Uh, it says that if you have to extract the teeth, temporary dentures may be needed to stand in for the missing teeth until their secondary successors come in. So you can actually get baby teeth dentures for a kid from when he's, say, you know, about one year old or a bit younger, like six months when the teeth come in until he's, you know, five or six and losing those teeth. Wow. So that blew my mind. Yeah, no idea. I said uh, earlier I'd heard about it before, and I had heard about it once from my financial advisor. He was telling me the story that uh, he was advising somebody else who was expecting a kid and they were going down the list of things they should invest in or how they should put the money aside. And one of the things on the list was dental insurance. And he said, oh. as a financial advisor, he said, no, don't worry about dental insurance. You know, what are the odds that you have any real teeth problems with a newborn? And then hmm. that baby was born with a couple of teeth. <laughs> and so worst advisor ever. <laughs> yeah, worst advisor. <laughs> they had to go straight in and do a major dental surgery, but I should clear his good name that, uh, he felt so guilty about that bit of advice that he actually paid for the surgery oh, wow. because he specifically told the guy not to get the insurance. So he came wow. in and footed the bill. So stand up. That's guy. pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd heard about it. That was years and years ago. And then I was surprised to see it also mentioned in the book. This is the first I'm hearing about this. It sounds crazy. Yeah. So be on the lookout for pre-teeth. Hmm. But what do you got? What's your crazy wild thing? Uh, the first uh, thing I found was on page 63 it is titled choosing to circumcise or not coming from america i was always under the assumption that most people got it done i never really questioned it or anything about that but in japan typically it's not done mm -hmm. from what i understand so i'll just read through this a little circumcision is probably the oldest medical procedure still performed Though the most widely known record of practice is in the Old Testament, when Abraham was said to have circumcised Isaac, its origins probably date back before the use of metal tools. Ouch. <laughs> Just using some old bark. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just got this squirrel here. <laughs> uh, you got to be careful with the squirrel because often they will go for the nuts. <laughs> Please continue. Uh, thank you. Uh, practiced by Muslims and Jews throughout most of history as a sign of their covenant with God, circumcision became widespread in the United States in the late 19th century when it was theorized that removing the foreskin would make the penis less sensitive. It definitely doesn't. Thus making masturbation a less tempting pursuit. It definitely mm -hmm. didn't. In the years <laughs> that followed, many other medical indications for routine circumcision have been proposed including preventing or curing epilepsy, syphilis, asthma, lunacy, and tuberculosis. Goodness. Yeah, they were really grabbing at straws there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anything. We just want to keep doing this, please. Uh, none of them have panned out. So are there any proven medical benefits to circumcision? It does re reduce the risk of infection of the penis, but cleaning under the foreskin, once it's retractable, usually around the second birthday, does just as well. 
It also eliminates the risk of phimosis, a condition in which the foreskin remains tight as the child grows and cannot be retracted as it normally can in older boys. Uh, between 5 and 10% of uncircumcised males have to undergo a circumcision at some point in their life because of infection, phimosis, or other problems. And studies show that the risk of developing a urinary tract infection in the first year of life is higher for boys who are uncircumcised, though the actual risk of an uncircumcised boy getting a UTI is low, maybe about 1%. That's one of those number things that I think people should really appreciate more that mm. um, you know you can make an argument for and against, but sometimes your for argument is only the case 5% of the time and your against is 95%. So then, right. you know, I'm a seasoned gambler. Give me the 95%, obviously. <laughs> Um, and I have heard that as a justification for circumcision before that, you know, there are problems that can crop up and then it's much mm. more painful and difficult to do later in life. Uh, say if you have to get your kids circumcised at like the age of five or six or something, he starts developing infections, then it's a lot more troublesome than if you had just done it on his, you know, first day of life. But um, the odds are so slim. Uh, so yeah. then why really go through with it in the first place? I would say. I agree. I'm not really into, um, I've also heard on the against side that why expose the baby to such trauma, but I don't think that sort of thing has the lasting impact that we might uh, assume that it does or that someone might assume that it does, you know? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I'm not trying to save the baby like a first, you know, trust breaking traumatic experience or anything, but it just seems like a relatively unnecessary thing. Um, and then if it proves itself to be necessary, then by all means, go for it and deal with it when the time comes. That's my take anyway. Yeah. I mean, it seems like something that would have evolutionarily fixed itself if it were that big of an issue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, over the thousands of years, we've been being people like it hasn't been that big of an issue. So we're probably good to just keep it as it is. Yeah, it's a bit like, um, and I know this is more invasive, but it's a bit like the appendix or the tonsils or something. It's like, mm. yeah, just take it all out, you know, but nobody ever considers that sort of preventative measure. I never had either of those taken out. Yeah, um, neither have I. But of course, those are more invasive procedures and the circumcision right. is just external and just skin. So it's a lot easier, but still, um, you don't go, you know, doing, and there are botched circumcisions, which I'm sure are very rare, but um mm a little bit of risk that you're introducing that um, why would you do that if you don't have to? Yeah, that risk seems more scary than the risk of, of like whatever the circumcision is helping prevent. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, in the 5% chance. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I agree with the book and uh, mm. I've heard similar. Okay, what's, uh, what's next on your list? Oh, I should point out, by the way, that my page number didn't match your page number. So we're operating from two different editions here. Oh, yeah. I have the digital version. Okay, cool. Disregard my pages. I've got page 188. The heading is tongue-tied. And um, tongue-tied usually refers to, you know, Mark or myself, and we just can't get the words out. <laughs> but with a baby, it's, uh, it's a totally different thing. Tongue-tied is medically known as something called ankyloglossia. Huh. And it is when... The um the little bit of tissue underneath the tongue is too short, and then the baby mm. doesn't have full like use of his tongue. Can't extend it all the way. Can't move the tongue up as high as he should be able to. So the oh. tongue is just sort of 
not really pinned down to the bottom of the mouth, but it's like held a lot closer to the bottom of the mouth all the time. Mm. This is called, a, that baby is a tongue-tied baby, is what they say. And the problems that come about because of being tongue-tied are that the baby can't manipulate his tongue, so then can't really drink from a breast or a bottle as well as the baby should be able to. Hmm. Then you might notice that the baby's not gaining weight as quickly as he should be, or that the baby's extra fussy because he's always just slightly hungry or slightly frustrated that he can't like get as much milk when he wants it. Hmm. They said that generally it's not that big of an issue. And over time, the shape of the head's changing, the shape of the mouth changing, and that little bit under the tongue, which is actually called the frenulum, that little hmm. bit of tissue that connects your tongue to the bottom of your mouth, um, the frenulum recedes in a baby and he'll get like more tongue activity as time goes by. Mm. Uh, but there are cases when it, it doesn't recede fast enough and it's... Um, uh, persisting as a problem and then you're in store for a phrenotomy uh, which is a relatively easy and relatively pain-free procedure where they just clip that extra tissue and oh. i say pain-free i'm sure i don't know if they give you an anesthetic uh, i'm sure the recovery time like anything in the mouth is quite short compared to mm. the skin so um, it's not too big of a deal, and it can be corrected with a little snip that a specialist can do. But anyway, I had never heard of this before, a baby being tongue-tied or having ankyloglossia. I was drawn to this because my favorite dinosaur, as we all know, is the ankylosaurus. And it has the same spelling at the beginning, like that A-N-K-Y-L prefix. Oh, and yeah. I, don't, I haven't looked into this. Someone please explain to me what the ankylosaurus, it's the dinosaur with the big ball on the end of his tail, and he's got kind of the armored back, hmm. and he swings his tail around and just bashes people. Uh, I guess not people, but probably other dinosaurs. The ankylosaurus and ankyloglossia. What do they have in common? What does that hmm. prefix even mean? I have no idea. No idea. All right. Well, that's point number two for me. What do you got? Um, number two for me. It's called All About baby development and specifically about language a little one who's working a large vocabulary at an early age or who speaks in phrases and sentences way before his or her baby peers is probably going to have a way with words but the tot who relies on pointing to make a point or grunting to request well into the second year may catch up and do just as well or even better later on since receptive language development how well baby understands what is said is a better gauge for progress than expressive language. How well a baby speaks, the little one who says little but understands much isn't likely to be experiencing a developmental delay. Again, very slow development in this area occasionally indicates a vision or hearing problem and should be evaluated. It sounded interesting. So no need to, to worry if, you know, especially having two languages, I thought this was pretty interesting. I've heard mm -hmm. that sometimes a baby who's or a kid who's learning two languages is less talkative because they mm -hmm. don't maybe know how to express what they're thinking well enough. Mm -hmm. But it kind of helped subside some of my fears that maybe like if they're not talking later, they're not doing as well, but they probably are. Yeah, I was looking into this just last weekend. Actually, I was writing something about bilingualism with kids and um, I stumbled upon the info that a bilingual kid 
will probably know in aggregate more words than a monolingual mm-hmm. kid because he's just, you know, generally getting two words for everything, mm-hmm. but that there is a limit, you know, it's not just unlimited storage space of words. You can't just cram all these new words into a kid. So kids all have similar limits of how many words they'll learn, which means that the kid is maybe looking at like 60 or 70%. I'm just kind of, you know, fabricating some numbers here, but he's looking at a (laughs) smaller vocabulary in each language than his peers who only speak those languages. Mm. And so he knows, uh, the, the baby knows more words overall, but less words within each individual language. And then it all balances out in the end. And there are also other sort of cognitive benefits, like uh, different researches pointed to different things like better executive function. And it's just Mm. that the brain of the bilingual kid is, you know, just really establishing all of these um, sort of grammatical pathways and it has to fire on more cylinders uh, than just the, the monolingual kid. And then that does translate that sort of elevated brain function translates into better thinking in other arenas, more or Mm. less. So the kid gets like a little bit of a boost in smarts, basically on average, you know, not all the time, but uh, usually, Mm. and it comes at the expense of maybe in the first year or two, like within only the Japanese speakers, for example, having slightly less Japanese vocab, but then it does balance out eventually. That's good to hear. Yeah. So yeah, that's nice to know. It's also just that kids are so plastic in terms of what their brains can do. And that lasts for a really long time. You've got years of that. And uh, I've known people who, you know, they relocate to Japan with a couple of kids who are, say, four or five years old. And uh, the kids have never been to Japan. You throw them into a Japanese preschool. Mm -hmm. And then within a year or two, he's a fluent Japanese speaker. And, um, you know, at his five-year-old level. So they can definitely adapt and they can get up to speed. And I think people Mm. worry too much about that when they notice that their, you know, 11-month-old is not doing exactly what another 11-month-old is doing. It's like, who cares? He'll be fine. One thing they point out in the book is that, you know, every kid is developing at their own rate. And that's basically down to the DNA of the kid. Like, Mm. nothing you can do can help them try to speak faster if they're mm-hmm. not ready to and vice versa, like got to let them go. I had a, uh, a family member um, when he was born, he suffered from ear infections pretty consistently mm. and he was in and out of the hospital constantly with these ear infections and he didn't speak much for years. And the sort of the culprit was those ear infections and it's that he wasn't hearing enough um, communication to then be oh. able to mimic it properly. Uh, but those cleared up. Um, after, you know, I'm not clear on the dates. It's been a long time ago, but it cleared up after a couple of years, he stopped having these infections and that's when he started to really get immersed in the language, but mm. still he wasn't speaking much until he was say four or five years old. But right. then when it happened, it happened and he's, it was totally fine through school. And now you wouldn't have any sense that he almost learned English like late later in his life as a child. So even he, you know, like in that sort of extreme case, he was able to bounce back to a hundred percent with nice. very little, little trouble. All right. I'm going to move on to my, my number three surprising thing. This one's not from a certain page and it's not just one topic, but uh, this book has a little bit of a British bent to it. Like the spellings are British and some mm. of the vocab choices are British. And I learned some, baby vocab that's just British English that I had no idea what it was. 
and deeply okay. confused me. So <laughs> I've got three, and um, these are, uh, I think you know these, but uh, we'll start with the easy one. First of all, nappy. Oh, uh, nappies, yeah. As you well know, a nappy is? A diaper. A diaper. Perfect. All right. One for yeah. one. The next one, I think we talked about this recently, but I just learned it a couple of weeks ago. The word is dummy. D-U-M-M-Y, a dummy. And um, a dummy is, Mark? A pacifier or a binky, depending on where you're from. Oh, yeah, indeed. Yeah, we always said pacifier. And when I read this section first, uh, I just stumbled upon it. I wasn't really looking for it. And it said, like, giving the baby a dummy in the crib at night or something. And I thought, oh. are you talking about like a life-sized like baby a doll? doll? <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> it feels more comforted. Like if he's got another baby with him, maybe that works. I've never heard of this before. <laughs> and then I kept reading it. And then the context was no longer making sense, falling apart. Oh. And so I messaged uh, one of my British friends, Joe, who may be listening to this now. And he cleared it up for me, nice. uh, calling me a dummy several times in his explanation, I should point out. Sounds like Joe. Sounds like Joe. Uh, then the third one, this is the word smack. Uh, the verb. The, <laughs> the verb, only smack I know is probably one we shouldn't talk about. <laughs> are you talking about crack? Yeah. Uh, smack in, in this case, it's very, very near the English, but uh, there was a, a section of what to expect that was saying like, don't smack your baby. And it's proving obviously. that yeah, <laughs> obviously, it's proven that smacking your baby doesn't have the desired effect. And I was like, are people just open hand smacking <laughs> their children across the face? And do we need this explained to us? This is insane. And then again, uh, from context clues, I figured out, oh, it's not like the open hand smack in the US, but smacking is used in place of the word spanking in the UK. Jeez. <laughs> so they say like, oh, uh, yeah, the section on don't smack your kids is actually probably don't spank your kids. It's a bit outdated and nearly all experts agree that it's not doing what you think it's doing uh, discipline wise. So, um, yeah, smack, though, I was just and that one is so close as to be dangerous for like, you yeah. know, dummy. I, I pretty quickly picked apart dummy, but smack. I was just bewildered as I read that section. Hmm. That's the other wildest thing that I learned from this book smack means spank and not crack. Like you're always going on about. Sorry about that. My habits. <laughs> okay. My last one. Uh, this was just taken from one of those highlight sections. It's not actually a full subject in the book, I think, but I thought it was interesting making time for tummy time, keeping your baby safe means never forgetting back to sleep. And for anybody who doesn't know the back to sleep is the slogan lay your baby on their back when you put them to sleep. Uh, but keeping your baby on target with developmental milestones means also remembering the flip side of back to sleep, tummy to play. The AAP, uh, they recommend tummy time play with your baby two or three times a day for about three to five minutes, uh, though you may need to start out with fewer minutes and find you can work up towards more. Specifically designed mats can make tummy time more fun but a blanket or towel rolled under your baby will work just fine. Uh, it says the best and coziest place for your baby to do tummy time is right on your chest. So hmm. you lay on your back, put your baby on and give them some exposure that way. You're just a target for a spit up attack. Oh, I'm sure. 
Yeah, my goodness. I'd be terrified. Um, <laughs> does that say the age of the baby, by the way? Is that just... It didn't, but this was in the first month section. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah. That's actionable intel for me because I haven't done any tummy time whatsoever with this boy. Oh, He's no. six, six weeks old now. They don't recommend that in the hospital or anything when you bring him home? I, I've never heard it, and um, my wife hasn't done it, so um, I don't think we've heard this information at all. Oh, uh, okay. I assume it's to strengthen up the neck muscles a bit to encourage him to lift his head? I assume so, too. It did not say. Okay. Yeah. Another section I was reading did say like kids develop from the head down. So they'll strengthen their neck before they strengthen their waist before their legs. So you want to start with those kind of exercises, I assume, first where they're lifting their head, then Mm. they're sitting, and then they're standing. Okay, cool. Something that we have noticed is in the bath, you know, the bath technique uh, when you have to Obviously, mm-hmm. you lay the baby on his back and you hold it, you cradle his head in your hand, but then you have to wash his back at a certain point. So then you sort of flip the baby into the other hand mm. and um, he's kind of leaned forward. When we do that in the bath now, when I'm washing his back, he, his head is coming up off my arm and he's looking around. So oh, nice. that's like, yeah, right in the neighborhood of tummy time, I would say. Mm. And uh, he also, we sit him up vertically as much as we can. Um, I'll kind of. You know, if That's good. I'm sitting wherever I am on the sofa on the floor, I'll tuck my feet up sort of toward my butt and then make, you know, my, so my knees are oh. sticking up in the air. And then I'll sit the baby using my legs as his kind of backrest. And when he gets in that position, he's got a lot more head control and can look around and, and swivel. So hmm. I feel like we've been getting a little uh, neck action in, but I've never even contemplated tummy time. I've just been oh, so okay. afraid of it. So I haven't even gone down that road, but I'll try yeah. it. Yeah. It does seem like the scariest thing to do with a newborn who can't control anything. But I guess yeah. if you're there and you're just like making sure they're still breathing. Yeah. And that's why it says like maybe start with like a minute or two. It sounds like to me, um, based on my experience so far these last six weeks, it's like another little uh, bit of variety that you can have in your arsenal of tricks to keep your baby occupied. Mm. Because if your baby's fussy, the number one thing you can do is kind of change his environment slightly and it just distracts him and he checks out whatever the new thing is. So yesterday, for example, I just walked him around the house outside and uh, it's like maybe he's sick of being inside, take him outside. It's a bit brighter. He sees trees, temperatures different, and he kind of Mm. forgets what he was upset about and he's just checking things out again. Hmm. Um, we also do it like we'll take him upstairs instead of having him downstairs or we'll, you know, you change a seating position and that sort of thing. Uh, so tummy time, I'm going to put that in the rotation. Okay, cool. Glad to help. Well, uh, I think that's all for segments. Do yep. you have a, my question for you is for me. I do. I do. This is, uh, this kind of goes back to, uh, a conversation I was having with somebody the other day. When I was a kid, I feel like my parents were passively parenting. Mm-hmm. Not to do them any disservice or anything, but I feel like that generation, I was born in 81, like parents were like, okay, here's a kid, eat this, go play outside, cartoons are on TV, you know, mm-hmm. that was parenting, at least from my perspective. Mm-hmm. And now we, we're, we have a podcast about parenting. Uh-huh. We've got books on parenting. 
We've got planned toys coming once a month, potentially. Mm -hmm. And so I would say we're more in the active parenting category these days. Mm -hmm. Do you think we're going to be over-parenting? It's a good question. It's probably like the core question of parenting is like, when is it too much? Mm. And the law of diminishing returns as well, because you only have so many hours in the day and you've got to accomplish what you need to accomplish as well. And if you're right, if you're just spinning your wheels with all of these extra, like little bits of educational toy, but he's already maxed out on his education for that day, you know, mm. his little baby mind, like what good are you doing really? So I think that personally, I am not going to be much of an over parenter. A couple of, bits of wisdom that I've heard from other people in years past. One was uh, a friend of mine, like 10 or 12 years ago, he was having his first kid and I was, you know, way, way inexperienced then obviously. And I asked him if he was nervous about it. And he said, um, you know, it's just that so many people have done it for like, if you want to go way back millions of years mm. and so many of those people have been worse off than I am or have been like less level headed than than we are today, you know, in the old days, or like, uh, they didn't know about soap or something like that, you know, <laughs> and it's like, and everybody survived through all that stuff. Right. So now just our baseline is so, so much better than what even like the informed parent would have been a hundred years ago. And people mm. were surviving and thriving a hundred years ago too, you know, probably with things like higher infant mortality rates and so on. But it's just, it was possible back then. So it should be even like breezy for us today, even if we don't go overboard with the parenting stuff. Gotcha. Uh, then another friend of mine once told me that with his kids, he, his tack is to sort of have his kids be along for the ride with the things that he's doing. And then, you know, if it's like, say you've got a CD of kids songs, why do you have a CD of kids songs? Just let the kid listen to the music that you're listening to. They'll learn mm. about how music works. It'll be fine. Right. And the kid's going to get their ABCs from the book that you're reading to them. You don't have to give them yeah. an ABC song every time you're in the car and that sort of thing. And, you know, certain kids are going to demand it and you put it on just to keep them quiet. But mm. uh, yeah, you can substitute a bit more of like all of the mountain of baby related things you can just mm. think like, well, what am I doing in my life that's already kind of like this? And then just persist with it and keep the kid involved in it. And then the mm. kid's learning as well, uh, going along with that. So I've kept those two bits of advice in my back pocket. And I try to um, just get the kid along, talk to the kid in a normal way, <laughs> for one thing, like <laughs> not doing the obscene baby talk all the time. Uh, like, I'll just put on whatever album that I think is kind of fun and nice sounding mm. for a baby like when we do the bath you know um rather than getting like all the baby songs out things of that nature gotcha so in that way i feel like mm. the interaction time is what's valuable and then that over parenting is probably more along the lines of you're going off the deep end with your baby gear and your baby focused activities and that sort right. of thing it's like 125 we got to go do this and all that. yeah yeah and we've <laughs> Yeah, this is very important for you developmentally at four months. So please look at this toy. Like that stuff yeah. probably doesn't pay dividends, really. I wonder though. Like, I mean, it's it's borderline, I guess, passive to do that stuff. And I feel like my my dad did that a lot. Like he would drag me along when he would go mm -hmm. to work. So I'd mm -hmm. tag along with him and just usually just sit there because <laughs> uh -huh. there's nothing for 
you know, like a five, six year old kid to do in an office setting. Yeah. And then like he would take me to the driving range with him, which for years after that, I grew a a massive hatred of golf Mm -hmm. because I felt like I was just forced to sit through golf my whole youth. And so I do think that some of these tactics are good, but I, I, I don't know. It seems like you got to balance it a bit and like not just like have them tag along, but like actively like say, you know, try things that might be in their interest as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a tough question. Yeah. Well, what you're talking about there, like moderation is such a key to all this stuff. Mm, like if it's, right. you know, obviously if you make those extreme, if it's like every Saturday, every Sunday, take your kid to the driving range and make him watch, you know, then that's a right. bit, that's excessive. If it's like more like once or twice a month, that should be fine. But I feel like it's about uh, probably giving your kid the variety of experience and mm. Uh, not overdoing it in any one thing. And then that's the sort of thing that's really subjective. And that's the Mm. thing that's kind of unanswerable, you know, like um, I would be happy as anything watching chess for about four or five hours a day, (laughs) but I'm not going to (laughs) subject any child or adult to that. I would never ask a friend to do that with me. I told you before that during my like (laughs) six days after the kid was born, but he and my wife were still in the hospital Mm-hmm. I had a few things that I wanted to do. And one of those things was to watch like the full 11 hour video of <laughs> yeah. game six of the 2021 world chess championship, which was a legendary right. game. And I recommend everyone goes and watches that 11 hour video, but um, I did it. It took me, you know, like three days. I did it in a few uh, sittings, but um, I loved it. If, Absolutely. If loved there's it. an abridged version. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. might watch that. Just the highlights. <laughs> Yeah, it's like watching a NASCAR event for the crashes, my friend. You got to be in there lap after lap after lap. There's more than crashes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Only ever seen the crashes. Yeah, maybe adult mm. hobbies or or work or whatever is a bit too like cerebral, and the kid's not going to be able to hang with you. Mm. But then um, I, on the other side of that, I think there's a valuable skill in training someone to be fine with a bit of boredom as well. And Mm. so I think we shouldn't be in that hundred percent alert mode of, Oh, the kid is not satisfied right now. Here's the next thing. And, you know, handing over the next uh, toy or the next experience or something, but training a kid to sort of deal with uh, downtime more or less. Well, that's a big struggle right now, just with all the technology we have. I mean, kids have downtime. So they go to YouTube or they're they're on an app on the phone or the Kindle or whatever it is. And it's going to be interesting to see how we in our house balance that, that use of technology and downtime. Yeah. It's unique to this day and age that you can be filling every minute of your day with something that's quite entertaining. And that wasn't the way when I was growing up, you know, there was still in the eighties, there was sheer boredom and Yeah, it was like, (laughs) I remember watching television and you would see like the best thing on is the most boring nature documentary. (laughs) It's just a deer in a field. You're like, well, this is what I'm watching today. Uh, As a kid, that's boring. Now I would love it. But yeah, there were times when you had to like make your own fun. And now you don't. You absolutely don't have to. Yeah, it kind of limits the creativity that kids have to have a little. Yeah. So I'm all for uh, injecting a bit of boredom into the kid's life and just Mm -hmm. so that he can strengthen his resolve. Yeah. Uh, But that's, it's another subjective thing because who's to say 
how much boredom is too much boredom. And if you go too far with it, you're like borderline torturing the kids. So you've right. got to, you know, really feel that you're doing the proper thing and not overdoing it. Cool. Very nice question. I have a bit of Japanese. Okay. We can talk about that. Uh, this is not specifically baby related, but it's more something the parents will have to do. Uh, we already touched on it earlier, and it is the uh, presents that you will receive for mm. your the birth of your child, and then the return presents that you'll have to give mm, uh, right. back to the people who gave you presents. So uh, the present, you typically get an envelope with some cash, as is the Japanese way. It's pretty much down to the Japanese and the U.S. mafia these days. They'll hand you an envelope <laughs> full of cash for an important event. But in Japan, it's called the Goshusan Iwai. And the go is just that very polite um, sort mm. of, I guess, particle is the word that uh, goes before a noun. Uh, for this one, it's go. Sometimes it's o. But uh, this one is go. And then shusan, we talked about before, is birth. And then iwai is celebration. So mm. it is the polite version of birth celebration. And that's just an envelope with cash in it. Usually you'll get, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, something in that neighborhood from a, you know, acquaintance or friend or family or something. And that's what you can expect. Hmm. So if you're talking about on average, say like 100 bucks, then your return present has to be uh, commensurate. And the rate is generally considered to be about 30% on a return present. The return present is called the uchi iwai. And mm. the uchi in this case is the one that means inside. So it is the inside celebration. And my wife was telling me that um, in the old days, uchi iwai was more like just to celebrate the birth of your child, you would hand out gifts to your close family members. Uh, mm. And in, in the U.S., it would be similar to buying a box of cigars and then passing out the cigars to your sure. coworkers and friends and that sort of thing. And it's not in return for anything, but it's just like, hey, I had a kid. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Just handing yeah. something out. And so the word uchi, meaning inside, it means like your inner circle or your inner group. It's like I'm giving these presents to you. But then over time, uchi iwai sort of morphed into the return present that you give to your inner circle because they've given you a present to begin with. So you're talking about 30%. And luckily, Japan has uh, sort of made this into an industry. So you don't have to go, you know, shop for say, you know, 20 people give you gifts, you don't have to go individually shop for tw 20 return presents. You just go to a section of the mall that offers like return presents. And these right. are generally a box of cookies, cakes, candy, sweets, maybe tea, maybe coffee or something like that. And mm -hmm. every maker has like the $10 version, the 15, the 20, the 25, the 30. So then you buy the si appropriately sized box. Um, you know, some of them will be like individually wrapped cookies and candies. And that would go to, to an office, for example, where there's a lot mm. of people who are going right. to share that return gift because that office put their money together and gave you a gift. Or you could get, uh, you know, like a single cake for a single person who, who gave you something. It's all available. Just go to a big shopping center and buy the huge number of return gifts that you'll need uh, to give back out and sort of budget for it as well. Because if you get a hundred bucks, you're going to keep like 70 of it and like 30 of it will go back to the person who gave it to you in the form of individually wrapped cookies and cakes. 
Yeah, it's usually a sweet, right? It's generally sweets. That's kind of like the the go to. I did see it's like the easiest thing. It is easy. Everybody likes it. From our Western perspective, that's the one we want most, I think, of those available. But mm. as I was going through the shop yesterday looking for some of these, I noticed that there are a lot of simbe, which is like a salty oh, cracker. Yeah. But yeah. Um, people like a salty cracker here. Even kids will get right into them. Yep. Um, there were a lot of teas. There are a lot of like soup mixes because the soup is quite important in Japan. A miso Mostly soup or corn potage. Yeah, that sort of thing. You can put like a, I don't know, these like maybe a flower shaped little chalky thing that you drop into soup and then it expands and it's a delicious little, I don't know what it is, but uh, those are available too. I wouldn't venture to buy those because I don't know what they are or how much people would really like them. But anyway, stick with the sweets. You'll be fine. Goshusan Iwai is the gift you get and then the Uchi Iwai is the return present at 30%. And we have just enough time for a couple old dad jokes. All right. Do you have anything today? Yes, I have two. Count them two dad jokes. How about you? I have three. Oh, well, please do us the honor. Okay, I think you'll uh, you'll appreciate this one. Not to brag, but I defeated our local chess champion in less than five moves. That high school karate lesson's really paying off. Oh, boy. <laughs> Violent. <laughs> Very violent. Um, chess yeah, is a sport sorry. of gentlemen, and I won't stand for this. <laughs> Have you seen chess boxing, by the way? <laughs> no, but now I want to. They put a chessboard <laughs> in the middle of the boxing ring, and I'd, I've never watched it, but they beat each other, and then they do a few chess moves, and then they beat each other and do a few chess moves, and eventually you lose your cognitive powers <laughs> because you've been beaten so much, <laughs> and your chess gets worse. But chess boxing is a real thing. You can YouTube I, that. I might be good at this one. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Use your brute force and win chess. All right. Um, simple mathematical dad joke. Uh, I just got into a brutal fight with the numbers 1, 3, 5, 7, and 9. The odds were against me. Oh. All right. <laughs> Move right along to the third dad joke. Please take it away. Uh, air used to be free at the gas station. Now it's 150. Do you know why? Uh, do you think I can actually get this? No. Oh, man. Okay. Why? Inflation. Oh, okay. <laughs> I see. I think you could have got it. I think you could have. Yeah. Well, that's, that's some insane inflation, though, if it goes from free to costing something. Like, right. That's infinite inflation we're talking about. That's madness. All right. Let me um do one more. What is the most popular car among Scandinavians? No idea. Fjords. <laughs> it's just fun to pronounce <laughs> the word fjords. Uh, that's great. I really wish there was a car fjord. Yeah. Yeah. Scandinavians should jump on that. I mean, the yeah. marketing writes itself. All right. My last one. I ordered a chicken and an egg from Amazon. I'll let you know which one arrives first. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, since we're on the topic, you know the answer to the question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Is there an answer? The answer is the egg. Because like dinosaurs were laying eggs like millions of years before there was any chicken at all. Well, then what came first, the dinosaur or the egg? That's a totally different question. (laughs) Totally different question. (laughs) Okay, technicality. (laughs) 
Chicken egg debate, put it to bed. Eggs got millions of years on the chicken. Okay. Millions and millions. I mean, hundreds of millions, maybe. All right. Well, uh, that brings us to the exciting conclusion of another J-Pops episode. Uh, this was episode 20, right? Yes, it was, indeed. And thank you for listening today. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter at jpopspodcast or by email at info at And we'll talk to you next time. Later. Later. <laughs>